The following audio is from Story City Church in Burbank, California. Thank you for listening. For more information on Story City, you can find us online at storycitychurch.com or on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter at Story City Church. Hello, my name is Bria Angelo, and I will be doing. Thank you. <laughs> I'll be reading today's scripture today. Um, the passage is 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 19 through 20, and I'll be reading in both English and French. So if you'll please stand with me for the reading of God's word. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and he has committed the message of reconciliation to us. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. Since God is making his appeal through us, we plead on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. Car Dieu était en Christ, réconciliant le monde avec lui-même, en appuyant point aux hommes leur offense, et il a mis en lui la parole de la réconciliation. Nous faisons donc les fonctions d'ambassadeurs pour Christ, comme si Dieu exhortait par nous, nous vous en supplions au nom de Christ, soyez réconciliés avec Dieu. This is the word of the Lord. All right. So, fam, how you guys doing? Woo, you guys are a lively bunch this morning. I like it. Good morning. Yeah, you can clap for that. That's cool. There's this thing in church we clap for stuff I have no idea what we clap for. Uh, you guys are just keeping up the tradition. It's super cool. I appreciate it. I'm like, cool, all right, we're clapping now. That's good. Uh, uh, welcome to the Burbank location of Story City Church. My name is Jared. I have the honor of being one of the pastors here. And uh, we're excited to have you with us today and to continue to learn. I say continue to learn because I believe with all my heart that one of the most important parts of our learning together this morning was actually already started, and that's during our time of worship. Did you know that the music portion of our service is an opportunity to present our hearts to God, to affirm the truth of Scripture, to reorient our minds to the truth that Jesus is the hero of our story? See, music isn't just a filler. It's not. It's an integral part of our worship experience. In worship, we hear the truth and we sing the truth in a repetitive way that speaks to our heart. The Bible says that our heart is the most deceptive part of us. We lie to ourselves all the time. King David wrote in the Psalms, in Psalm 119, 11 to 13, I have treasured your word or stored your word or hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. Lord, may you be blessed. Teach me your statutes. And the implication is that he's teaching from the word that has been put inside of him. And then he says, with my lips, I'll proclaim all the judgments from your mouth. David was a musician whose songs, poetry, and prophecy we have as our psalms today. And he understood that the best ways for us to have truth to draw on when we need it most is to be able to recall it because it's inside of us. It's something we've heard. And there is one of the greatest ways to do that is the repetition of singing. And so as we're doing that, as we come before the Lord, remember that all of worship is about giving away. We come to get our eyes off of ourselves, to lift our hearts to God by acknowledging Him, what He is, who He is, and what He has done. 
And there's something powerful about doing that corporately, meaning we do it together, not just as an individual. There's something powerful about coming to the room with the same intentions as other people as we focus on him, his truth, his word, his character, his actions, his promises. There's something that happens in our heart, family, I'm telling you, so do not miss out by missing worship and the teaching that happens to our hearts in the middle of that each morning. Okay? Good. All right. Let's get to our minute to mingle question. As Gavin said, nice, simple, easy question for the day. What would it take to restart a friendship you have ended? What do you guys have? Just laughter. Okay, just a phone call. Okay, a phone call on whose behalf? You're calling them or they're calling you? Okay. So you can, you can restart it. So, so maybe some, um, some effort on your part to restart a friendship. Good. What else? Owning up to your mistakes. I like that we're starting off with it's our fault. That's a good view for us to take this morning. That's, that's healthy that we would acknowledge that we all have our own issues. What else? What else would we take to restart a friendship? A clear apology. That's fair. Something else? Yeah. Forgiveness. Yeah. Probably on both sides, huh? Yeah. Reconciliation. Yep. What else? Someone would have to change for sure, right? That could be them. I think that's what I heard you say. It also could be us. Yeah. Repaying a debt. Repaying a debt. Good one. Set what? Pride. Yeah. Are there times when relationships should not be restarted? Absolutely. Absolutely, right? There is something called healthy boundaries. I have some relationships in my life that are not reconciled. And it's not because I don't desire reconciliation. It's because it's not healthy with where that person is. I would love for there to be reconciliation. And that's the difference, right? The difference is that I'm not opposed to reconciliation. I am all for it. But I know that until this person comes to a healthy place, and they may never be able to, that I am probably not going to be able to reconcile them because it's not going to relate. It's, it's going to be toxic. It's not going to be healthy on my behalf. Now, here's what I have to make sure on my end that I do. I can't hold that against them. I can't hold on to bitterness. I can't harbor anger. I actually have to let God be the one that judges and, and carries out his punishment for whatever sin has happened. I need to own my stuff and be willing to own that stuff. But ultimately, we have to have healthy boundaries it's also not healthy, though, to dismiss the idea of reconciliation altogether. For us to write people off and just be like, that's never going to happen, is also an unhealthy place to be. To have the attitude that people can never change is an unhealthy place to be. The reality is, is that we change all the time. One of my favorite stories of reconciliation was one I got to witness when my last duty station at the Navy, it was at Pearl Harbor, and two men on opposite sides of the war between Japan and the U.S., uh, had an unlikely friendship that lasted until their deaths. One of them was Marine Corps bugler Dick Fisk, who was just 19 years old and serving aboard the USS Virginia when it was bombed. The other was pilot Zenji Abe, who attacked from the Japanese aircraft carrier Akagi. Both of them became lifelong friends. And in fact, when I met Mr. Fisk, it was because he was a volunteer at the Pearl Harbor Memorial, and he would play taps every day for those soldiers who were lost, and then right after doing that, he would play the Japanese version of taps in honor of his friend, Zenji Abe. The friendship that they developed 
became a symbol of reconciliation, forgiveness, not just between two warriors, but two nations. Many of us have relationships that have ended over smaller things than war. Right? Some of us have family members that live out their own personal novella every day as they recount whatever offense or, or you know, insight or, or, I'm sorry, slight or whatever has happened that day. And, and we sort of live in this tension, and I use that word on purpose, we live in this tension of relationships constantly. We're always dealing with relationship issues. Today we're continuing our series entitled Maker's Mark, and it's a look at our new identity in Christ for those who are apprenticing Jesus. The reality is that as a whole, humanity has a huge rift with God, and it requires reconciliation. The good news is that God is a God who has made way for reconciliation and restoration, and as a result, those who are uh, apprenticing Jesus have an identity as ambassadors of reconciliation. For that kingdom. So for those taking notes today, this brings us to our big idea for the day. As ambassadors, we are responsible for inviting others by modeling his transformative power. We are responsible for inviting others by modeling his transformative power. We will see how as ambassadors we represent a new kingdom and a new perspective a new kingdom and a new perspective. We will explore how as ambassadors our mission is reconciliation. And finally, as ambassadors, we are to be a representation of what God does in us and through us. In us and through us. Let's go back and and look at the larger passage of today's scripture and then we'll get to breaking it down. Previously, we asked you to stand for the reading of God's word. I won't ask you to do that now, but would you please just prepare your heart to hear the word that God speaks to us from his scripture. Starting in verse 16, from now on then, we do not know anyone from a worldly perspective. Even if we have known Christ from a worldly perspective, yet now we no longer know him in this way. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away and see the new has come. Everything is from God who has reconciled us to himself through Christ and has given us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses trespasses against them, and he has committed the message of reconciliation to us. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. Since God is making his appeal through us, we plead on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. He made the one who did not know sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Of God. Anytime we see that word therefore or um, then in a passage, it points us to the fact the author is continuing his idea from the scripture or the words before. So when Paul says in verse 16, from now on then, he's continuing a previous thought. For those taking notes today, this actually brings us to our first observation for the day. Here it is. As ambassadors... We represent a new kingdom and a new perspective. As ambassadors, we represent a new kingdom and a new perspective. In verse 15, just before what we read, Paul's actually talking about the implications of Jesus' death and resurrection. And he continues that thought, speaking about Jesus' death and resurrection in verse 16 when he says, from now on then, from now on then, because of Jesus' death and resurrection, we do not know anyone from a worldly perspective. Even if we had known Christ from a worldly perspective, yet 
We now no longer know him in this way. And so when Paul had written this, there were still people alive who had known Jesus personally. People who had been around during Jesus' ministry. But Paul's pointing out that, that uh, because Jesus' mission has been fulfilled, it's not the way we look at him any longer. He is no longer the suffering servant who came to die. He is the risen king who is uh, risen from the dead, conquered sin and death, and is now ruling in authority and power. If we didn't have verse 17, then we could understand that that particular perspective is what Paul was trying to tell us. Hey, look, this is who Jesus is. But we have verse 17 that actually helps us understand this in a different way as well. There's more to it. Verse 17, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away and see the new has come. In Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, Jesus, we did a series called Upside Down Kingdom, right? Because Jesus brings this idea of what his kingdom is. And it's such a radically different concept than the way that we had understood God's kingdom to be and be about. Jesus begins to heal the afflicted, those suffering from diseases and pains, the demon-possessed, and more. And so crowds are coming to gather to see what all this is about. And they're amazed because no one in their lifetime had done the, the, the amount and the healings and the miracles or even taught. The Bible says he taught with authority. Not only is he teaching with spiritual power and authority, but he's healing, which shows that his, what he's saying is true because his power is backing it up. He has power in the spiritual realm and in the physical realm. Jesus sees their hurt, their lostness, their feeling of separation from God, and he gives this sermon to meet their needs physically, emotionally, and spiritually. And for the first time in a very long time, the people understood that God's kingdom was accessible to the lowly, to the broken, to the marginalized, to the unrighteous, to those who listen to emo and even those who play tabletop games. <laughs> Jesus brought the kingdom of God down to touch the earth in a way that made it accessible to any who apprenticed him. But this new understanding of the kingdom of God wasn't the only thing that was new. Paul is telling us the reason we see Jesus differently is because we've been made new too. And so Paul, again, is continuing his thought from the verse before. Verses 14 and 15 say this. For the love of Christ compels us, that means moves us, motivates us, drives us, since we have reached this conclusion that one died for all and therefore all died. And he died for all so that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for the one who died for them and was raised. Paul tells us in the book of Romans, chapter 6, that, or are you unaware that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? Therefore, we were buried with him by baptism into death, in order that, just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, so we too may walk in the newness of life. For if we have been united with him in the likeness of his death, we will certainly also be in the likeness of his resurrection. For we know that our old self was crucified with him, so the body ruled by sin might be rendered powerless so that we may no longer be enslaved to sin, since a person who has died is freed from sin. This whole understanding of a new life and a new creation is exactly what Jesus says when he's talking to Nicodemus. Nicodemus comes to him and is like, hey, uh, he's one of the Pharisees, and he's like, I I'm not sure how all this works. Help me understand. And Jesus tells him this in John chapter 3. 
Jesus replied, truly I tell you, unless someone is born again, that's the same idea as being made a new creation, he cannot see the kingdom of God. How can anybody be bored when he's old? Nicodemus asked him. Can he enter his mother's womb a second time and be born? Jesus answered, truly I tell you, unless someone is born of water and the spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. Whatever is born of the flesh is flesh, and whatever is born of the spirit is spirit. This idea then Jesus is saying is, it's not about our physical lives. It's something has to happen to us spiritually, or else there is nothing for us to go to spiritually that, that we can be a part of. We have to have this reconciliation. It needs to be done spiritually, and this is the new birth. The whole idea of being made new was a message promised both in the Old Testament and, 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 and New Testament, and it's realized in Jesus. In Ezekiel and Jeremiah, God promises that he will give us a new heart, and with that heart, the ability to love him and his ways with all we are. It's important to note, though, that this, again, is not about our goodness or our ability, but God's goodness and God's goodness alone. Because we didn't earn our roles as ambassadors and it's not our kingdom we represent, then it's not our agenda that we represent as ambassadors. It's not our own purposes we represent as ambassadors. It all comes from the kingdom of God. Thomas Lothian writes to the Christian, an entire moral revelation is affected in his character. Not only is he reformed, but he's created anew. His heart isn't merely rectified, but a new heart implanted. His understanding is illuminated. His affections are sanctified. His will is brought into subjection to the law of Christ and his conversation, pursuits, and manner of life are changed. It's like this. How can I? It's as if there was a robot sent from the future to the past to destroy you. But later that robot was reprogrammed to protect you. It may look like the original T-800, but new programming has completely changed its mission, its outlook, and its purpose. I don't know. Might be an example we could use. For those taking notes today, this brings us to our second observation for the day. As ambassadors are, some of you are like, what is he talking about? It's okay. As ambassadors, our mission is reconciliation. Our mission is reconciliation. Verses 18 and 19 point us to who God is and what God has done. And Jesus taught us that for those who have experienced reconciliation or mercy, it should result in us now modeling that to the people around us. Jesus tells us this is exactly how the kingdom of God works. This is the expectation in the kingdom of God. That when we are transformed, he says, this is what you should see as a result. Look at Matthew chapter 18, verses 23 to 33. For this reason, and here's what Jesus tells us, this is about his kingdom, the kingdom of heaven can be, can be compared to a king who wants to settle accounts with his servants. When Jesus said it can be compared, he's saying, hey, look, here's a way to understand the kingdom of God. Verse 24, when he began to settle accounts, one who owed 10,000 talents was brought before him. Since he did not have the money to pay it back, his master commanded that he, his wife, his children, and everything he had be sold to pay the debt. At this, the servant fell face down before him and said, Be patient with me, and I will pay you everything. Then the master of that servant had compassion, released him, and forgave him the loan. That servant went out and found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii. He grabbed him, started choking him, and said, Pay what you owe. At this, his fellow servant fell down and began begging him, 
be patient with me and I will pay you back. But he wasn't willing. Instead, he went and threw him into prison until he could pay what was owed. When the other servants saw what had taken place, they were deeply distressed and went and reported their master everything that had happened. Then, after he had summoned them, his master said to him, You wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you begged me. Shouldn't you also have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? Bobby Jameson writes, God restored us to his favor by satisfying the claims of justice against us. Our position judicially, judicially considered in the eye of the law is altered, not as though the mediation of Christ had made a change in God's character, nor as if the love of God was produced by the mediation of Christ. No, the mediation and sacrifice of Christ was the provision of God's love, not its moving cause. Christ's blood was, paid, was the price paid at the expense of God himself and was required to reconcile the exercise of mercy with justice, not as separate, but as the eternally harmonious, harmonious attributes in the one and the same God. That word reconciled uh, refers to a one-sided reconciliation. What do I mean by that? I mean that it's not as if like two parties had injured each other and now we have to come and make nice. That's not what that word means. That word is that one person is clearly at fault. That's us. God doesn't owe us reconciliation. It's not like he carries guilt or responsibility in the offense. And yet, God is the one, even though he is the one that's been wounded, even though he's the one that's been sinned against, even though he's the offended party here, he's the one that offers us reconciliation and we participate in it because he's allowed us into that relationship. He's the one that made that phone call, even though it's us that caused the offense. Our participation then is the result or the application of that reconciliation, not something we've done on our own, right? So in other words, it's God that offers us the chance at reconciliation, not something we've earned in any way on our own. Verse 18, everything is from God. That's what he's talking about. Look, all of this comes from God. All of this idea of reconciliation would not be possible. And he's reconciled us to himself through Christ and has given us then a ministry. He didn't just reconcile us and be like, all right, don't do it again. He's now given us a purpose, a place, an identity. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world, to him, the world to himself, not counting our trespasses against us, and he's committed the message of reconciliation to us. We would be foolish, family, if we did not, we would be foolish if we recognized how big of a debt that we've been forgiven and then kept that same freedom from other people. But how do we practically show people God's great mercy? For those taking notes today, this brings us to our third and final observation for the day. As ambassadors, we are a representation of what God does in us and through us. We are a representation of what God does in us and through us. Did you know that one of my primary jobs as a pastor, aside from illuminating scripture, helping people to understand, is is actually not um, teaching at you? Do you know that? Do you know that what I do here on Sunday mornings is, is not the most important part of the church? that we as a family have to learn how to live this out and we do that by living life together. The way that we do life together though is we cannot be a people who pretend that we have all of our stuff together. 
And we as a people cannot pretend that we have our stuff together uh, as long as we are being led in a way that doesn't teach us that. So what I'm saying is an axiom we have here is as the leaders go, so go the church. If we as leaders of this church, if I as a leader of this church refuse to be transparent, refuse to be honest with who I am and my struggles and, and, and my hurts, my habits and my hangups, how would I ever expect any of us to live in that way? because I'm not modeling it for you. Paul says, come and follow me as I follow Christ. The idea is, look, I'm not perfect, but I'm walking this journey, and here's what you're going to see. You're going to see me following Jesus. I want you to try and follow Jesus in the same way. Verse 20 starts off with the word, therefore. It's because God reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation that we are now ambassadors. That's the reason. It's because God did all of this. Now, according to the great theologian Chat GPT, an ambassador is a diplomatic representative, typically a high-ranking official who serves as a liaison between two entities, such as countries or organizations. The role of an ambassador involves representing and promoting the interests of their home country or organization in the host country or international context. Ambassadors play a crucial role in fostering diplomatic relations, conducting negotiations, and conveying official messages between the entities they represent and the government or organization to which they are accredited. Now, here's the deal. In Paul's day, that's not what an ambassador exactly was. It's changed now. We understand now this isn't colonization. We understand now that we're to respect other cultures. And so ambassadors are there to find ways to, to, to sort of find this balance. But in Roman days, the ambassador was a symbol of Rome's authority. They were about symbolic representation. Their presence in a foreign court or territory signified the power and the prestige of Rome. And they were expected to conduct themselves in a manner befitting the dignity of the Roman state. So they still had to respect the culture and know the culture and understand the culture, but they were there more as a representative of the power that they wielded, not in themselves, but of the state that they bore the name of. In the same way, as apprentices of Jesus, we aren't simple go-betweens between two equal powers. We are symbolic representatives of the living, all-powerful God and his kingdom, this also means that we don't get to brag as none of the power, prestige, or authority is ours. So we shouldn't be walking around like, well, I'm an ambassador. I've met a few of us Christians who are like that. <laughs> the power, the prestige, the authority is his, and we understand that we are representing him. That should put us in a place of awe and dependence on him, not one of our own power or authority. I think this is why Paul spends so much time trying to help us understand that this isn't a distinction we've earned, but one we've been entrusted with. Jay Lang writes, the purer and richer the appropriation of mercy, the easier and more perfect the performance of duties. In other words, the more we understand how we got this, the, the better and more pure intentions we have in living it out. When faith receives mercy, it sets the heart to work by love. Thus, the whole of Christianity consists in faith receiving and love giving. Whoever receives has much to give. To receive much and give nothing proves that you do not properly receive. And to give without receiving proves that you do not properly give. You receive not and you give not from God. In other words, when we recognize how much God has actually done for us and given to us, all undeservedly so, how could we not be moved with both gratitude and with this desire, this conviction to share that blessing with everyone we meet? 
verse 20. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, since God is making his appeal through us. You realize that the, the Bible tells us right here that, that Christ makes his appeal through who? Us. We are God's plan A for the world. That is a scary thought. There isn't a plan B. God entrusted his mission, his kingdom to us as his ambassadors. We are his ambassadors and God is making his appeal through us. And so our responsibility is to plead, to plead on Christ's behalf. Be reconciled to God. He made the one who did not know sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. The reality is, is, is I would posit that most of us do not really appreciate what God has done. I don't know about you, but, but for me, I, I come to this place all the time where I'm like, well, I'm not that bad, God. At least I'm better than so-and-so. And I don't usually do it because that's pretty condescending and, and arrogant. Usually I have like a vague group of people in my mind. Well, at least I'm not like these people, which is still as arrogant and condescending. The truth is that it's easier for us to try and figure out where we stand in our rankings of goodness than to recognize that there is no goodness whatsoever. That the reality is if we understand what God's done, we would be living now in light of who he is and what he's done, and that motivates what we should be doing. In the book of Genesis, God tells us that he, he made humanity in his image and gave us a purpose. That purpose was twofold. On one hand, it was simply to be who he had called us to be, the Imago Dei, the reflections of him. The invisible God made humanity as visible pictures of who he is, how he leads, how he loves, how he cares for all of creation. To remind all of creation of who he is, every time they see humanity, it was supposed to be an incredible reminder of the goodness, the power, the beauty, the love of God. Not just when they see us, but every time we interact. I don't need to remind you how poor of a job we do of pointing to God in the way that we interact with the people around us. Additionally, though, we were tasked with leading the world as his representatives to lead in his way to be responsible as we generate great culture. That's a part of the words that are there in that first part of Genesis, that we are to create great culture. Also, don't get me started on Christian culture. That job has not changed. Family, we still have the exact same job, the same responsibilities. So how do we then, as broken and flawed people, possibly help others and point them to Jesus? Here is one of the most important things I'm going to say to you, that it is not our job to fix people. In fact, it's not even our job to fix ourselves, despite the billion-dollar self-help industry. Thomas Boston writes, Yet though every part of man is renewed, there is no part of him perfectly renewed. As an infant has all the parts of a man, but none of them come to perfect growth, so regeneration brings the perfection of parts to be brought forward in gradual advances of sanctification. Family, the Holy Spirit is working in us. And as we're honest about what God is doing, that's where we begin to see what happens inside of us. But we're not responsible for that change. God is. We're also not responsible to see other people change. We are simply responsible to introduce them to the one that brings the change about and to model the power of God inside of us as he changes us. Being an ambassador to the kingdom of God is not about getting it right. It's just modeling what it looks like to, to depend on him, to trust him, to obey him when other things in our lives would say not to. But to do that, there's something we're, we're sort of glossing over, and that means that we have to have relationships, close and consistent relationships, with those who don't know God. I can't tell you how many 
pastor friends I have that don't know a single person that's not apprenticing Jesus. How are we supposed to be what God has called us to be if we don't have friends, close friends, not for the purpose of saving them, for the purpose of loving them? How, how, how do we fulfill our mission if we don't have that role in our lives? If we only have close friends who are already apprenticing Jesus, family, this is just a book club, not an ambassadorial mission. Penn Jillette, noted atheist and one of the duo of Penn and Teller, once famously said, if you really believe someone's going to hell, how much do you have to hate them not to proselytize or to tell them about Jesus? In a society where so much is not what people seems, people don't want to hear what you have to say. They want to see what you actually believe by the way that we live it out, family. The true power of God is so wonderfully revealed as God works in us. This is important. As a Magodea, as the ones who are supposed to model and point to God in everything we do, it's not by being more righteous, it's not by being holy, it's not by being smarter, it's not by arguing with somebody or guilting somebody into faith, it's not by scaring the hell out of them, literally. It's by, thank you, it's by, <laughs> it's by loving people and walking on the journey with them so that they can see God in us as we walk. It's allowing the people to, people to see that we aren't who we used to be. And that requires dropping our guard. It requires being real and honest and transparent. It's requiring people to see God working in us because the power of God is real and people will know it when they can tangibly see the effects in our lives. That's exactly how God works through us. Family, God is more glorified when people see him in us during our trials and struggles than when we put our fake faces on and try to pretend everything's all right. When people see hope and certainty and love and kindness in the midst of real pain and hardship, that's a testament to who God is and what he's done. When people see us exercise healthy boundaries in difficult relationships and find healthy ways to reconcile and offer grace and mercy and forgiveness when others would write those people off, God is glorified. So today, we learned that being an ambassador is an integral part of our Christian identity. We've discovered that as ambassadors, we are responsible for inviting others by modeling his transformative power. We looked at how as ambassadors, we represent a new kingdom and a new perspective. We explored as how ambassadors, our mission is reconciliation. And finally, that we are a representation of what God does in and through us. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, as we conclude this time of worship and service, we reflect on what you said to us through praise and scripture. Father, we express our gratitude for all you are doing in us and through us. As we prepare to leave, we ask that you help us love you and everyone around us with all we are and have. May the way we live bring you glory and may we carry the message of your love and grace with us wherever we go. To this community of Christ's apprentices, we now pronounce this benediction. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of the Father, and the unity of the Holy Spirit abide with us always. May our love for Jesus and people continually grow. Go and be the church. Amen.